Thank you, Dana. I thought the robes were cool, too. I mean, I don't know what you guys think, but those, those look really cool. Well, look, it's an honor to be here uh, in my church home with my church, uh, with my church family to dig into God's Word. I think it's particularly exciting today, this Sunday, because I'm not sure where you are in your stage of life, but if you have kids who just, like, finish school and you make that transition into the summertime, it's not always an easy transition. The way we start school, it's great enthusiasm. The way we finish, maybe sometimes not as much. In fact, there's all these images always flying around about that. This is one of my favorite ones, that up on screen. The dedication to the great lunch at the beginning of the year. And then, oh my gosh, we got to hurry up and get something put together so they can eat And as we wrap up school. So for those of you who are here today and can appreciate that change of season into summer as it affects so many people, you're at the right place where we can worship and pray and ask God to lead us as we go. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into his word. Father God, I'm reminded uh, once again just of the power of worshiping you. And as we fill this room today, Lord Jesus, I pray that uh, your word and your word alone might be heard. I ask that you would allow your word to penetrate hearts wherever they need to for the simple sake of turning us directly to you. I pray that this morning as we, uh, we dig deep into what you authored so many years ago, that it would most of all bring about change, Lord. I thank you for this awesome opportunity. And I ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, my Savior. It's his name we pray. Amen. So when you think about the watching eyes of God, what comes to mind? This idea of God's watching. How do you think about it? You know, it reminds me of this story of some elementary kids headed to lunch at a little Catholic school. And at the front of the lunch counter, there's this big bowl of apples. And the nun puts a sign on it that says, take only one, God is watching. Well, as the students move further down the line, at the end of the line, there's a big bowl of chocolate chip cookies. One kid leans over the other and says, take as many of those as you want. God's watching the apples. (laughs) You're safe. The idea of God watching, though, often brings this sense of, I don't want to get caught. You know, maybe along the way, some well-intentioned parents or some teachers say, you watch out, God is watching with the implication of being, behave yourself, don't get out of line. But the reality of God simply looking to catch us doing something wrong is not a representation of what we're going to take a look at today in the scripture when we look at what he wrote in 2 Chronicles 16.9. So because it's easy to come to church and kind of sit out there and listen and maybe sometimes you take some notes, but you don't always get involved. And so I'm going to ask you to get involved just a tiny bit. Don't anybody get uncomfortable that they're going to have to do anything strange. But here's what I'd like for you to think about. The one word that comes to mind when you think about God is watching. What's one word that comes to your mind? Now I want you to share it with the person that you came here with today. Share it with them. What's that one word? This is the part where you guys get involved. I'm certain that some of the words are ones of encouragement, 
Maybe some of them not as much encouragement. See, here's the fact. The fact is that when we do things to not get caught, that's not a sustainable, ongoing way that we're going to live according to how God teaches us. In fact, what the real issue might be is it might be more of a heart issue than anything else. The Bible talks so much about the heart, and not the physical beating heart necessarily that keeps us alive, but the heart as described as our spiritual center, kind of that inner part of us that influences so much of what we do, how we live. The heart is really, really important. In fact, Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, he makes a profound statement about the heart. Now, in here he's talking about money, but he says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moth, moths eat them and rust destroys them or where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Listen to how he wraps this thing up. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. Some translations say for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus connects this idea of what we value to our heart. Or said a little bit differently, what we value is a direct reflection of our heart. It's almost like an x-ray to reveal what our heart looks like on the inside in, connect, in connection to what we value. Well, I know for me, growing up in my 20s, pursuing the proverbial climb the corporate ladder thing that I, ha- I bought into, I valued success. And I valued success the way that the world said you should value success. I valued admiration and approval of people. I valued the accumulation of money. It's the golden rule. You know, you're familiar with that one. He who has the gold rules. Very common one. I bought into that. It was a reflection of what my heart valued most is how I live my life. And when you consider in today's world how God says to live and then what culture and the world around us says to live, those two value systems often come in conflict with each other. They often say one thing while God's way might be another. You don't have to look very far to find it. Whether it's any social media, news story, a regular news story, maybe even in and around people that you live with, the idea of what God says don't, culture says it's okay. That conflict of value system can affect and does affect every follower of Jesus. I know it affected me. You know, I talked about that early in my life, how I thought about money. Well, I took that into my surrender in first years of following Jesus Christ. And this idea of, look, if I accumulate, it's success. But then the Bible introduced me to this idea of generosity. But it took a long time for me to understand what that meant. And I can tell you, in the beginning of my walk with Jesus and my surrender to Jesus, I didn't give anything towards God's kingdom and the work that God was doing. See, I was distracted by what the world said is valuable, and it impacted how I saw what the Bible said is the way that God would have us live. And it's easy to get distracted. So my question for you is, where are you distracted today? What's distracting you, value of the world, from maybe what God would value?
Where is the value system of the world turning you away? Well, look, this idea of God watching is very much alive and well today. But not necessarily for the sake of catching us doing anything, but for the idea of empowering us and a powerful work through us. So we're going to take a look at this Second Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. And so I want to first share the verse with you. Now I'm going to read from the King James translation because I think the King James translation really captures the essence of this verse. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Here and thou hast done foolishly. Therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Got to have the thou and the henceforth uh, for the King James translation. Many of you are probably reading your Bibles going, my Bible doesn't say that. Different translations. But the idea of what God is doing. This is a timeless, powerful verse and a powerful truth that applies for all of us today. So I'd like to give you a little bit of background on this before we just jump into the verse so you understand how we got to this place. So up on the screen, you're going to see a map which captures the division of the kingdom at the time that this was penned. And so you have the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. This is a shocker, but everybody didn't agree with each other back then, so they had battles and divided themselves. Go figure. Division amongst people. But King Asa was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. So early on in King Asa's rule, he came across a significant opposition through an Ethiopian army. In fact, a million Ethiopians were coming to invade Judah. Well, Asa was a new king. He didn't really have much wealth. He didn't really have a strong military. I mean, he was just getting started. So what do you think he did? He cried out to God, Lord, we have a pro- we're going to have a problem. I need you desperately to show up on our behalf. And guess what God did? God showed up big time on King Asa's behalf. In fact, they pushed the Ethiopians away. Judah defeated them. And at the same time, they built up a lot of wealth from what they acquired from the Ethiopians. And then for the next several decades, there was no war in Judah. Not even war between Judah and Israel. So what would a good king do? He built up the infrastructure of his kingdom. Strengthened his military, strengthened education, invested in the economy at the time. And they had years and years of no war and great success. They became rich, they became strong, and they became independent. And then as we move into Second Chronicles chapter 16, we see Israel decides that they're going to invade Judah. And what do you think King Asa does? He's rich now. So instead of turning to God, he turns to another king. He says, hey, I need your help, and he pays him to help defeat the army from coming into Judah. And that army does. They defeat Israel from invading. But that's when we pick up what the prophet says to King Asa when he calls out in verse 16, in chapter 16, verse 9. He says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. Here and thou hast done foolishly, Therefore, from henceforth, thou shalt have wars. See, the first part of the verse is a timeless application of what God is doing. The second part of the verse is right at King Asa. Guess what? The rest of his time as king, he's going to be faced with opposition. 
He's going to be faced with fighting. In the balance of his time, his country will only know war. But the first part of that verse is the powerful, powerful message to all of us today and the idea of the eyes of the Lord running to and fro throughout the whole earth. I think there's three key parts to that verse that, we want to, that I want to take a look at. The first part is the eyes of the Lord running to and fro throughout the whole earth. Now, you have to understand that this is an eager, earnest, active search for something. Has anybody ever searched actively for something or for someone? I remember when I was young, I was maybe four or five years old. My sister was a couple years younger than me. My sister went missing one day. And I remember the urgency and the eagerness that continued to escalate as my parents searched for her. And they recruited a bunch of people in the neighborhood to go search for her. Now, our search wouldn't last long because as my dad picked up the phone to call the police to describe what had happened, my sister came wandering down the stairs. Turns out that day she decided to take a nap under her bed. And so everybody thought that she was in fact gone when she wasn't. But I remember the eager, earnest search. That's what God tells us is happening in this verse. The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro. So for what purpose? Which takes us to the second part of this verse. It's to show himself strong. Now I know when you read the verse you'll see show, S-H-E-W, that's not a misprint. That is actually how it's written in the King James translation. But to show himself strong. Only God could author something like this. But for those of you who listened to Rick's message or heard Rick's message last week, Rick talked about the power of God. And he talked about the power of God and how God demonstrated his power and he used multiple examples. And as I sat down and I talked with Rick a little bit about this message, I had some of the same examples. But we didn't plan our message together. Something in the power of God and the message of the power of God, God wants this church to hear. I don't know why. But I think that we often underestimate God's strength. I know I do. I know I do. You know, I looked at King Asa and I thought, what a knucklehead. He depended on God the first time and not the second time. Can't believe that he would do that. And then I can't help but think to myself, how many times have I done that? How many times have I relied on God and leaned into God in a circumstance only to find myself in that same situation trying to fix it myself or lean on another person? Well, in this case, in this verse, God is there to show his strength. Or said a little bit differently to utilize his power. Now, I think it's important to understand this power. So start at the beginning of Scripture. You realize God merely spoke and the heavens and the earth were formed. He breathed into man and man became. You look all through the Scripture the Egyptians are leaving, are get, or the Israelites are leaving Egypt. They run into the Red Sea. What does God do? No big deal. Part it. They march around Jericho, blow trumpets, and he crushes the walls. This is the same power that met a guy named Paul on the road and made him blind to get his attention and who would then become one of the greatest missionaries of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the history of the world. That's that type of power. You read it all through the Bible. But you know what? I've seen the power, and you've seen the power even alive today. I've seen addicted alcoholics move to full sobriety. I've seen 
wrecked and broken marriages. Not only repaired, but thriving. You've seen this strength and this power of God when you've resisted a temptation. Or when you sought something, you said, I can't, but I will. That's the strength of God that he's looking to show. Oh, and let me not forget this tiny little demonstration of his strength. When his son died, and he conquered death, conquered death, if that can't get an amen, I don't know what can. Thank you, somebody. I'm like, conquered death like a couple times. It's crazy. But the power that could conquer death, he says, I want to show it to you. I want to show it to you. I want to show it on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him, which takes us to the third part of the verse. And that's this idea of a heart perfect towards God. Understand, it does not say a perfect heart. It says a heart perfect towards God. In fact, the Hebrew word in there, perfect, is a word called shalem. Shalem, it means full and surrendered to God, a whole heart for God. Now, this one I know is easy to look at and go, eh, I don't know, whole heart, perfect heart, Craig? I can't have a perfect heart. But then you look at the Bible and you look at one of the greatest examples of a heart for God, and you find King David. Now, you could read about King David in, in the Old Testament, but in Acts 13.22, the Apostle Paul, when he's delivering a message to the Jewish people in the synagogue, and he's teaching about Jesus, he makes this reference in Acts 13, verse, chapter 13, verse 22. He says, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Don't miss that part. He's a man after my own heart, or a heart fully God's. He'll do what I ask him to do. There's a connection between doing what God asks us and the condition of our heart. Now you could read about the history of David, or... You can read about who David was as you read through the book of Psalms. You know, David is credited with authoring 73 of the 150 Psalms. So if you really want to understand how David worshipped God, how he sought after God, you simply read through Psalms and you understand his heart. Because if you know the life of David, David's life was not perfect. David's life was far from perfect. David's life had sin in it. The Bible talks very openly and very directly about David's sin and the things he had to wrestle with in his life. But what you find in David, when things were great, you read Psalms and he praises God and thanks him. When things were really terrible and he made mistakes, you find him going before God and repenting. See, David went to God in all things. You think about some of the characteristics of David. I mean, that takes a lot of faith. And I think it's strong faith that led him to this fearlessness to fight Goliath. David had such an adoration for God. You see it lead him to obedience. He adored God so much, he wanted to do what God asked him to do. But then, you see sin You see this repentance, but as David repents, you see him fully rely on God more regularly. On and on and on. Those character traits of David 
show us and highlight this heart perfect towards God. David was so devoted. But then think about how easy it is to be so distracted. So my question for you is this. Are you devoted or are you distracted right now? In your heart. And I don't know what the answer is. That would be between you and God. But as you sit there now in the quiet of your own seat, ask God, Lord, am I distracted or am I devoted? See, I think it's important for all of us to understand that. Because I do think that the world works to distract us regularly over and over. When we know where we are, then we know what we can do and what God offers us as we pursue Him. So I think the Bible gives us a couple heart tests. Like you might be sitting out there right now thinking, I don't know. I don't know about my heart and where my heart is with God. Well, I think there are multiple tests that you can do. This is an exhaustive list, but I'm going to share four of them that I think the Scripture opens up to us to test the condition of our heart. The first is this idea of the words we speak, what we say. I'll share a couple of verses up there. I encourage you to write them down. I'm not going to read through those verses, just in the interest of time. But in Matthew 15, 18, Jesus himself, he says, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. You want to know a condition of someone's heart? You want to know the condition of your own heart? How do you speak to people? How do you speak to people? The book of James connects it even further to this idea of being part of our religion and the importance of what we say. So are your words encouraging and affirming to people? Or are they convicting and critical? You know that old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? That's a lie. Super non-biblical, but we don't have to go theology on that one right there. I'm just telling you right now. Words very much hurt. You see the connection to the condition of our heart reflected in what we say, how we speak is a great revealer of where our heart is. The second one then is how we spend what we have, how we spend our resources, our money, our stuff, our time. You can call it what you want. But in 1 Chronicles 29.9, the people rejoiced over the offerings for they had given freely, and catch this, freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. King David was filled with joy. I mentioned to to you earlier the Matthew 6.21 where Jesus connects treasure and your heart. The reason that I believe Jesus said it the way he did is listen to the words, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Where we put our investment is where our heart goes, not the other way around. We think, well, if my heart's there, then I'll go ahead and do it. No, that's not what Jesus says. For where my treasure is. So when you invest what you have in God's kingdom work, guess where your heart's going to be drawn to? God's kingdom work. When we invest what we've been given for our own personal desires and our own preferences, guess where our heart's going to be drawn? To those things that serve ourselves. There's an order as he explains it. And it is where your treasure is, where you're putting your resources. Really the question that all of us, I think, should challenge ourselves with is, Lord, how much of what you've given me do you want? I remember a guy shared with me one time, he said, Craig, if you want to pray boldly about how to handle your resources, ask God this question. 
Lord, how much do you want me to keep for me? And how much do you want me to give away for you? And just pray that. And see what God does. But see, how we spend our resources is an indication of the condition of our heart. Are we investing in kingdom work, in God's kingdom work of making disciples? Or is it just in and of ourselves and our own desires? The third test, I think, is how we serve. So how do you serve? In 1 Peter 4.10, Peter writes, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve one another. The Bible is so clear on calling us to serve for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus himself, when he came, I mean, he said, he said it clearly. I have come to serve and not to be served. I think the idea of Jesus looking to us and saying, if you want to be my people, if you want a heart fully mine, serve, he set the example. He set the ultimate example. So I think the question that we should consider for ourselves is not, should I or shouldn't I? It's, Lord, where? Where do you want me to serve? And if you're not sure about opportunities to serve, I'm 100% certain that when you leave here today, there's some folks out here associated with the harbor that would be happy to talk to you about serving opportunities. But how we serve and our willingness to serve, it's a reflection of the condition of our heart. And then this last heart test, this one you have to hang with me a little bit because when I first came to me, I thought, oh, come on, that doesn't sound like a good heart test, Lord. Uh, but the Holy Spirit convicted me. And the last one is how we sit still, is how we sit still. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. All over coffee mugs and fancy signs that hang in Christian stores. But be still and know that I am God. See, a busy and occupied life and heart has no, will have trouble making room for their heart to be surrendered fully to the Lord. We just don't have the capacity to do it. And I know this one's hard. This one's hard for me. I mean, I think about sitting still. I'm like, yeah, I got like five minutes. I'll sit still. Come on, Lord, speak to me. I got five minutes and I got to get going. I don't think that that is what he's talking about. And we might think to ourselves, gosh, I can't do that. I'm busy. I have so much going on in my life. So many things happening around me. But let me go back to the example of a heart fully devoted to the Lord and take a look at David. I'm going to suggest, I don't know this for sure, but I'm, I think he might have been busy running a kingdom and all. I think he might have easily been distracted and attempted to be influenced by the culture around him. I mean, don't you think the king heard people over and over again say, oh, it's no big deal. You go ahead and do it this way. Let's go ahead and do it this way, David. This is a better way. Yeah, that's kind of old school. We're not, we don't really think like that anymore, David. I believe that he was probably busy, that he was probably challenged, and that he was probably faced with a schedule that would make it a challenge to have a full heart toward God. But we see in his life on how he lived that he fully gave his heart to God 
And it wasn't again that he didn't sin, but it was in everything. In all things, he turned to his father and his creator and pursued him aggressively in the wreckage and in the greatest victories. So when you think about a list of how we speak, how we spend, how we serve, and how we sit still, here's a question I have for you. Which one of these stands between you and your heart fully surrendered to God and God himself? Which one of these stands in between you and him? Now, there might be another one that comes to your mind that's not on this list, not an exhaustive list, but here would be my challenge to you. Ask God, ask him, Lord, which one, what is between you and I and me having a heart fully surrendered to you? And then if you really want to be bold, tell somebody your answer that you came with today or that you will talk to later today. Tell them the answer. That's a boldness. Because once we understand where we are, then that's when we have the opportunity to step further into God and that He can move us closer to Him. You know, the eyes of God are still running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully perfect toward Him. I know many of you in this room have seen it, have experienced it. I've experienced it myself. Just a couple weeks ago, at the company where I worked, we had made arrangements to have an outreach event. Kind of uncommon uh, in, a, in a secular business, but God had opened a number of doors over the years to allow those things to be possible. About five minutes before this event was to begin, there was two people in the room, me and the dude I had asked to come help MC the thing. I mean, we're like five minutes from this thing starting. What I'm, no one was there. Nobody. And as I sat there and I thought to myself, well, this is embarrassing. Seriously, Lord? I mean, got, I got chairs empty. I got people ready to give their testimony of Jesus Christ and how they use their faith to influence their leadership. And as I sat there and I thought, well, come on, God, help a brother out. A couple people came in. And then a couple more people came in. And then a group of people came in. And I lost count of how many people came in because I had to leave to go get another stack of chairs to bring into the room because every chair was full. And on that evening, these well-respected leaders shared their testimony of Jesus Christ and how they came to know him. And they talked about how they used their faith to influence how they lead in a big company with lots of people. See, I think God showed himself strong in that because the purpose was to simply point the spotlight to him. The purpose was to glorify him and share Jesus Christ. And God showed himself strong. See, a fully surrendered heart gets us access to that strength. To a strength that is highlighted throughout the scripture of doing things that nobody can do, of changing lives that nobody could change. You see it today. It is so alive and so real. And my encouragement to each of us, myself included, 
If anything is standing between our heart being fully surrendered to God, let it go. Know that when we do, His strength, the strength that conquered death, is available to us. So let me pray for us. Lord, sometimes words, I don't even have them uh, to describe the power that comes through your Bible. Lord, I'm so thankful for your Bible because apart from it, what would we have to look towards as a way to live? And Lord, I pray today as each of us considers maybe where we are and what's between us and you, Lord, please reveal it. Please show it to us so that we can cast it aside and have access to to the greatest power ever made available to people. Jesus, we love you, and we lift this up in your name. Amen.